I was in a friends with benefits situation with someone who loved being the life of the party. When he hit a rough patch and needed some help with rent, I gladly lent him the money without a second thought. The time of repayment came and went and he wasn't able to pay me back. No biggie. To my surprise, I found out he had been going out as usual and buying rounds of drinks for our friends. Let's say I was not thrilled. It made me reflect on how I would have handled the situation if the roles were reversed. Asking for financial help is not easy. I would have turned into a frugal monk, avoiding any unnecessary expenses until I could pay back every penny. So you can imagine my shock and disappointment when I felt he wasn't prioritizing repaying me. He did end up paying me back, but there was no way to repair my shattered image of him. If I had the words to articulate my views on finances and responsibility, maybe I would have avoided flipping out on him. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. In this season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Melissa Leone is here to make the most of your time. Efficiency Bitch packs a punch in under 150 pages, helping you take control of your life and future. It begins by providing a glimpse into the why of it all before guiding you through the five pillars of BITCH. You'll gain practical strategies and systems to streamline your life, allowing you to have your cake and eat it too. Let's break this bitch down. B is for bank. From paychecks to credit cards and wealth management, Melissa shows you small steps that accumulate into a healthy bank account. I is for inbox, not just in your email, but also the never ending to-do list that clutters your mind. Systematically reduce the mental load to live with minimal stress. T is for time, the most valuable currency that is often easily lost. Learn the secret recipe to delegate, automate, and eliminate. C is for connection. Finding the right people will enhance your life and even better, make it more efficient. H is for harmony. Once you find that balance, know how to maintain it. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have on Melissa Leone, author of the book that we're going to be talking about. She's also a finance professional and self-proclaimed efficiency bitch who started her own consulting company and podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we have you on because you are an author and you are also a finance manager. Can you tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from being a finance uh, expert into author. Yeah, uh, I, I do both still. I, I spent uh, 17 years in luxury hospitality and that entire time I was in the finance department. I, I actually went to school for hotel restaurant management. I wanted to travel and I wanted to be in hotels all the time. Right. Um, and I, I took about six months out of college and hated it, <laughs> hated hospitality until the corporate controller said, Hey, do you want to try accounting? You seem really good at this. And I thought, no, I don't want to try accounting. <laughs> um, but I did and I loved it and I've spent an entire career doing it. So 17 years climbing the corporate ladder, um, managing large global accounting departments. And then three years ago, uh, broke away and started a uh, bookkeeping and fractional CFO company called Two Cents Consulting. And so today I help US-based uh, small businesses manage their time and money from an owner perspective, mm -hmm. as well as like financials. So finances has been 
my entire career. Um, my first job in life at age 16 was as a bank wow. teller. So I, it's just what I've been doing forever. Um, and the book kind of came out of a passion project out of, you know, at first I wanted to write a book teaching women how to talk about money. Mm. Generationally speaking around the world, women are not typically in tune with what's going on in the finances. It's always been sure. a male role. And so I wanted to talk to women about money and it just evolved into a whole <laughs> a whole thing of efficiency and money is a huge part of that. Right. I mean, time is money, right? So it makes sense yeah. that those two things totally linked up. I've been seeing on social media as well, different movements around the world, encouraging women to invest and teaching how to actually do that because we're not really taught. No. No. Yeah. If you look back, it, it doesn't matter what country, if you look back, women have never really been educated on on money, in, including now. I mean, even in the United States, women were given a credit card for the first time 35 years ago. It's, it's I not- read that <laughs> recently and I was like, how is that possible? It feels like it would be impossible for that to happen, but it's very recent. Very, very recently. And I think I said 35 years ago, the 45 years ago is when it <laughs> happened, but, but nonetheless, right. with, you know, my mother was a 30 year old woman before she was able to legally have a credit card without her husband or father co-signing. Right. Um, and that isn't a very advanced country. I mean, it's, it's different all around the world. So being somebody who likes to talk about money, I'm an mm-hmm. extrovert. I like people and I like to talk about money. So it's kind of a <laughs> rare breed. I find most, right. people, most people who talk money are pretty quiet and introverted and get lost in spreadsheets, which I do, but uh, I also like to talk. So <laughs> Right, right. I guess you know a lot of the people that I would probably work with, the ones who yeah, technically extremely smart, Connection wise, maybe lacking a little in the skills there. Yeah. And I think it's just the way our brains are all wired, right? And you you use different strengths in different parts. And I'm certainly, uh, my business partner and I, I think are both an anomaly in this space. Mm-hmm. We we don't know many finance professionals who are as extroverted as we are. There are some, but not, not as many. <laughs> so let's dive right into the book. The first yeah. letter of bitch is bank. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. From your perspective, what do couples do in terms of finances that you're like, oh no, like that's not something (laughs) I can see rolling your eyes already? Yeah, it's, I think the worst thing you can do is not talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's like there is no right way to run your finances as a couple, but there is a wrong way. And that wrong way is to pretend it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, I know plenty of couples who, keep their money separate. I know plenty of couples who merge them together. I know plenty of couples who have some things separate and some things together. And all of those ways are fine. But having a really solid understanding of what your game plan is, and then reevaluating over time to decide, is this still the right game plan for us? Mm -hmm. Um, When my husband and I first started living together before we were married, we kept everything separate. And then we got married and we put everything together, but we both had very different spending habits because we mm. didn't communicate on on the ground rules. And it wasn't until we had our first kid that we recognized, oh, we need some rules here. Oh, and uh, we started putting rules in place that we started with an allowance, believe it or not. Um, we gave each other a hundred dollar allowance, hundred US dollars. And I thought that was a lot of money. For, like, for like a week? 
Yeah, for a week. Okay. And I thought, that is a lot of money. We do not need $100. But it turned out we were spending more than that. We just didn't recognize it. So it would look like going to the nail salon or hmm. going through the drive-thru and getting a Starbucks or, you know, whatever it was that each of us were doing, we were spending more than we realized. And so putting that allowance on ourselves really gave us a heads up of, oh, this is... More than <laughs> right than expectation reality. There is some yeah. mismatch there, and that's really important to come to realize, especially as a, a finance person. Um, so now, are you guys tracking everything? Do you have spreadsheets? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I talk have a to me in my love language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a PL for the family, and I it's legitimately called a profit and loss statement for my household. Um, and we categorize every single item. I talk a little bit about this in my book too. Mm-hmm. I, I involve my children in the conversation. My kids are mm. eight, 10 and 12. And we eat a lot of ice cream. We live in Arizona and it's very hot it's like year round here. So we eat a lot of ice cream and I have a line item on my PL of my family's household budget that says ice cream. And every month I look at it with the children and I say, what do you think? And we compare it to last month. We compare it to last year. We make decisions together as a family if we overspent or if we were in line with what we thought. And and I'm really careful about not using words like waste. We didn't waste money on ice cream. We enjoy it. It's Mm -hmm. we work hard. We're allowed to have treats. Right. And I and I want to make sure my kids especially understand that not spending your money on things you love is is just as damaging as spending too much money. Um, But you do need to be aware of where you spend it and how you spend it. And so I'm really focused in on those areas that we can control. Um, Easy ones for me are things like ice cream, coffee, fast food. Those are places that people, families often overspend and don't recognize how they're small purchases. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And they add up so fast. Yeah. So fast. It's amazing how quickly you can spend $500 on ice cream. (laughs) Because believe me, we've done it. Yeah, I I love the way that you're talking about teaching your children that type of mentality. Personally, growing up, first of all, we never talked about money. Mm -hmm. Um, In an Asian household, you get promotions and you celebrate that, but you never talk about a dollar amount and there's a lack of specificity. And then also as a kid, my sister and I were like for Christmas, we were allowed to choose our Christmas presents, but we would be looking through like a catalog and we would see the dollar amount and our parents would praise us if we didn't circle too many things and if we didn't ask for the most expensive things. So it was indirect, but we were taught like, hey, money is something to be saved, not Mm -hmm. necessarily something to be enjoyed. And that's something as an adult that I still carry with me and I still have... um problems. Like I'll be like, I'm in New York. I really want to see Hamilton, but it's like $500. Is it really worth it? And my boyfriend at the time was like, you love Hamilton. You've been singing the soundtrack nonstop for a month. We're going to see it. Yeah. And I agree. I think you do have to set money aside for those type of things in life so that it's enjoyable mm. and that it's fun. I have a, I have a big belief that you need to have professionals in your life who can help you get forward from where you are today. So Hmm. I'm a finance professional. I've been doing this for 20 plus years, 
but I also have a financial advisor in my life who helps me see things that I don't see or maybe Mm. that I need to learn. And one of the things she taught me that I write about at length in my book is this concept of four pockets. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine the pants that you're wearing and there's four pockets, right? One on the front or two on the front, one on each side, and then one on the back, one on each side. Um, And the front pocket is going to be your daily expenses, mm-hmm. your mortgage or your rent or your gasoline or the food that you need, all of those types of things sit right. in your front pocket and you know what you need to spend to have there. The other three pockets are going to be all for savings. Mm-hmm. And the, the other front pocket is going to be for short-term things like going to see Hamilton when you want to, so mm-hmm. that you have some money that's available that you can spend without guilt or without worrying about it. It's also there for emergencies, like if you right. have a flat tire or, you know, need something like that. So those those two pockets in the front are really important to have. But you also need to consider long-term savings, mm-hmm. um, like retirement, being able to retire at an older age and different Different countries have different philosophies and and plans available, but thinking about something way into the future. And then your other pocket is going to be more short-term, mid-term savings, let's say. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're saving up to buy your first home or Mm. buy a car or a child's wedding or a child's college education. I mean, there's a lot of things that come midlife that are very expensive. Right. And then you have to save enough for your later part of your life to make sure that you have those funds. And so I'm a big believer in really focusing on those four pockets and defining what those are for you. They may be different for every family, right? I mean, you may be single and your four pockets look different than mine because I have three children, or maybe you're a couple, but with no children. And Mm -hmm. and those things shift as your life changes and life changes really fast all the time. Um, Yeah. It's one of those things that you have to consistently be looking at um, and paying attention to. Right. Yeah. I had a friend who started dating her boyfriend a year ago and now they have land together. They're thinking about getting married, thinking about having kids. So it happens real quick. Yeah, it really does. And when it happens, it seems to go super fast. And um, and then everything like the gas pedal really goes in. Um, right. I tell, I mentor at several university students at a local university. And I always tell them, go live abroad, go do something Mm. totally different. Because once you fall in love and get married, you're not (laughs) going to do these crazy wild things anymore. Go do something right right now. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Just it opens up your perspective. I thought I had an open mind um, living in Vancouver. And then I went abroad and I realized like there were all these places of friction that I never would have noticed had I not gotten out of my bubble. Um, I know. I love it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you would start this conversation. Let's say that you've been in a relationship. It sounds like that's what happened with you and your husband. You guys Mm -hmm. got married, got your finances together, and then had to have a conversation. I mean, first off, did you grow up with parents who openly spoke about money? Did you feel like you had the vocabulary for it? No, I certainly didn't. Um, I wouldn't say that my parents didn't talk to us about money, but it was also, we we lacked the specifics. Mm. I mean, I was born in 1981, so I grew up in the 90s predominantly. Um, and my mom worked, you know, I lived in a dual family income uh, household, but we didn't know the specifics about how money worked. But I would also say, I always felt safe asking them questions. Mm. They didn't volunteer information to me, but as I grew, I started to learn. I think the other advantage I had, though, was working at a bank at a very young age. Mm. I was 16, helping very 
a variety of age groups with their checks, right? And it was the 90s. So everybody came into banks still. Online (laughs) banking didn't exist at that time. Um, So I did see the phenomenons of Paycheck Friday when people would show up and cash their entire check. Uh, And I didn't understand what they were doing with it. But those examples that I was seeing at work certainly allowed me to ask my parents very specific questions. And as I grew, I started to learn different different ways that men and women like to spend money in a mm. in a broad general stroke i liked to spend money on the house and nesting and you know getting new dishes and getting new artwork for the living room that because we were brand new living together for the baby yeah. and he didn't spend money that way he spent money in a very different way and so we had to kind of learn together to have that conversation about how much money is appropriate to spend on the household? How much of that money is appropriate to spend on me individually on getting my nails done? Or how much of that money is appropriate for you to buy new golf clubs, right? So we learned very different ways to communicate and and really to understand each other's priorities when it came to, to right. our spending habits. Right. And I have heard from my friends' experiences of people having a long-term relationship, not having those conversations. And eventually that becomes a point of contention. So let's say you start the conversation and you're just finding that you guys have different priorities. You have mm, different ways of viewing money altogether. Yeah. Do you have any tips for people in that situation? Yeah, I think when you, when you talk about money or when you think about money, either yourself or in a pair, Um, you have to kind of think of it the way that you would drive a car. Mm. So we're always looking forward. And when we're driving a car, hopefully, hopefully you're not text (laughs) messaging, hopefully you're you're looking forward and you have to know multiple points ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to look right in front of you and make sure there's not a pedestrian. You need to look, you know, many meters in front of you to know if there's a traffic light coming. And then you also need to know where you're going because you can't just drive straight. You have to either have a map or GPS or something. So when you're dealing with money, you have to have those multiple points of reference in order to think. You also need to look behind you in your rearview mirror from time to time and know where you came from and know the things that you can correct. Um, you know, maybe I made a bad choice buying XYZ. Maybe I mm-hmm. made a bad choice doing that and and correct it because without knowing where you came from, it's really hard to see the complete picture of where you're going. Mm-hmm. And then I always say like the the peripheral vision or out your your side rear view mirrors um, is really just things that are going on in the market. You know, mm. um, how's the economy doing? What's the stock market look like? Is there an election? Is there a war? These types of things really do impact our daily lives. Mm-hmm. From a money perspective, we don't need to spend a ton of time there, but just glance or know or pay attention to peripheral vision. And those types of um, metaphors I find are really helpful when having dialogue in in an uncomfortable conversation like money. So Mm. you could start a dialogue and say like, okay, do you agree that those are like the points that we need to think about? So let's table the rear view mirror and the peripheral vision for now, but let's think about our final GPS location. Where are Mm -hmm. we going? Okay. We both want to retire when we're 55 and we want to have... X number of money in the bank and we want to have a home that we own. I mean, you get the picture. You you pick that GPS point and then you say, okay, what does that need to look like right. a little early on in the, in the journey, right? What does that mean we need to do from a savings perspective? And you kind of just bring it back from that GPS point mm-hmm. back into the car and make those decisions about how you're going to move forward. 
Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a very mature conversation. I'm thinking back because I'm 30 in my 30s right now. I'm thinking back to 20 year old Erica. There was not a chance <laughs> that she was going to bring this up in a relationship. But yeah. I think even as an individual, that's really important to think about because I was just saving, but I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do. But also, like you were saying earlier, you got to do your travel and kind of figure yourself out at that point. Um, focus yeah, less I on agree. I think, I mean, I, I certainly didn't have it all together when I was in my 20s either. And I've been doing this since I was in my 20s. So mm-hmm. I knew better, but I still wasn't doing it. Um, and that's okay. I think if you're listening to this and you're in your 30s or 40s, it's okay to know that you didn't have all the answers and you can still make a change. And better yet, if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this, you will have a leg up that the rest of us didn't have. (laughs) And maybe you don't take action on it today. Maybe it's just something that sits in the back of your mind and in a couple of years, you're ready to take that step. And that's all okay too. I think that's the beauty of the information that we're able to get today Mm -hmm. so quickly by podcasts and by social and so many different things that are on the internet. That stuff wasn't available. My my education in my teens and my 20s came from my parents or my friends, right? We didn't have social media or podcasts. So take advantage of what's out there and listen to a lot of things, mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions, and then come up with your own formula. You know, my way may not be the best way, but you'll be able to pick one or two things from my methodology that work for you and then grab two or three from someone else and two or three from someone else and then make up your own to tie the ribbon around it. For sure. Yeah. I think this goes with when you're learning anything, you need to look Mm -hmm. at a bunch of different resources and take it in the way that you want. I have some friends who love reading finance books that I feel like I'll fall asleep (laughs) So if that means I go on Instagram and I follow a couple financial advisors and then like watch some YouTube videos, that's the way that I consume content, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have any suggestions? Obviously, your book would be a great place to start. Uh, Any other places that you would guide people to? Yeah, I think it's so different depending on where you are in the world, right? Um, There's so many different types of retirement plans and different different countries, I would say you need to find something in your local country to help you understand how taxes and or retirement plans may work where you live. And I can't give you advice on those things unless you're in the United States. However, I would say there are some things that are true about money. The the analogy that I gave you with the car, right? There Mm -hmm. are things that you can learn from a philosophy perspective that will help you understand, have that dialogue and start to think about the future. Um, There's so many resources that are out there that are country specific, but I think just like you said, just listening to other people's ideas, um, coming up with ways that you can have a dialogue with people in your in your family, mm. um, learning lessons that they went through. Hindsight's always 2020. So right. Your friends, family, um, aunts, uncles, cousins, they may have some advice for you, things they wish they had known. Those types of things are always really important. And then I think if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I have kids who need to learn, talk to them about the mistakes you make. Actively Mm. go bring it up to them because it may be uncomfortable for them to bring it up. My 12-year-old wanted to buy a yearbook recently and said to me, I only want it if it's not expensive. And I thought, I don't put those boundaries on you. If you want it, let's save up the money to get it. So sometimes they bring in these ideas from the outside world that didn't come from you, but you have to ask the questions in order to know what they're thinking. Right. 
Right. And rather than just saying like, no, let's have a conversation about it. And I, I love the idea that you can start giving them the vocabulary so in the future they can talk about it. Um, yeah. I think it's important to know where your family came from as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know the specifics of what my parents' income was. I still don't know. And I don't need to know that. But to understand how they started to save, how old were they when they started to save, um, what were the different ways that they managed that? I mean, I can go on and on about different um, tax deferred plans in, different, in the <laughs> United States and all these different ways that you can you can go about it. But my best piece of advice would be to find a finance professional in the country where you live mm -hmm. and start asking questions about those things today because it does matter. Credit mm -hmm. scores matter too a lot. So making sure that you have a credit card and you know how to use it and you know how to pay it off and you know that credit card companies are designed to put you into debt. Mm. Um, they can also be very beneficial for getting you rewards like like um, airline miles, for example. But you're going to end up spending way more in interest on than an airplane ticket if you're not yeah. paying attention. So some of those universal truths, um, I think, are really valuable to think about, too. Right. And it's one of those things where you have to know yourself as well. I, so my mom used to work in a bank. She was a bank manager and she had a lot of bank friends. One of her friends who was also a bank manager was terrible at managing her own money. And mm -hmm. she knew this about herself. She had a credit card that she would put in a Ziploc bag, fill it with water, put it in the freezer. And if she wanted to make an online purchase, she'd have to defrost it. So it would like take a few hours for it to defrost. Yeah. And then she would be allowed to buy that thing. I don't know if that's exactly the solution for everyone, but it worked for her. Yeah. I think anything you can do, especially if you have that instant gratification type mm -hmm. of mentality. I mean, I know for me, having it, having my credit card or my debit card on my phone can sometimes be very dangerous because it's instant purchase. You just instantly impulse buy. I have a, um, I have like a daily action plan that I, I use for myself and I have a, a daytime and a nighttime. And one mm -hmm. of the very last things that I do every night is go back through my Amazon purchases because Amazon's where I spend most of my money right. and I will cancel purchases if I, cause I ordered them oh, in the wow. day thinking, Oh, I needed that. And then at eight o'clock at night, I look at it and I think, what were you thinking? <laughs> and I go through and I cancel and it's probably one to two items a day that I'm canceling because it is really easy now to spend it money. Is. And I promise you the retailers love it. Um, you know, if you are an impulse buyer and you get something and you're like, why did I buy this? Go return it. I know so many people <laughs> who won't go return it because they don't want to spend that extra energy going to do it. Um, you are wasting a lot of money <laughs> if you're not returning impulse purchases that you wish you'd not done. For sure. I love that. I like that idea of there are takesies backsies. Like your, your purchase is not permanent right now. Yeah. You can still cancel it. Um, do you have any other practical things that you have integrated into your day to day? Yeah, I'd say um, I'm very aware of my credit card balance on a regular basis. I don't want to give them any more money than they get. So credit cards not only can take annual fees from folks, they can charge interest, but they also charge between three and 4% to whoever you charged your credit card. So you swipe your credit card at McDonald's, mm. 
they're going to now charge you interest, but they're also charging McDonald's three to 4%. So I am so hyper aware. It's like a visceral reaction for me to not give credit card companies more money. Um, so that would be kind of the most important thing I would say. Um, watching your credit score, understanding how the credit that you do have is impacting the purchases that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing interest rates when you take out loans versus what maybe you could make in the market. You know, um, I'll give you a, a US-based example. Up a couple of years ago, you could get a mortgage here for two to three percent interest rate. And the stock market was doing really well. So you could earn interest like eight to ten percent. Mm-hmm. Now it's flipped. So interest rates are much higher here since COVID and the stock market is doing much worse. So that's one of those peripheral things where you need to think about, is it a good time to get out of mortgage? Is it a good time to make investments? And just really have that solid understanding. But but those are peripheral things. Those things don't shift all the time, but they mm-hmm. have recently. And so if you haven't reconsidered or rethought about what's happening for you locally, now's a good time to just kind of think about those areas and and make a play. My other piece of advice would be to use plastic. Um, there's a lot of financial advisors out there that would say use cash. Mm. Uh, Dave Ramsey is very famous for saying cash, cash, cash. I actually disagree completely. I think those methodologies worked in a time where we wrote checks and there was a float period and you didn't know what you had spent because it Mm -hmm. hadn't left your bank account yet. But that is not the way things are anymore. You can charge something on your phone or on your debit card or on your credit card and it's instantly showing on your bank account. So I am a firm believer. I never carry um, currency of any kind. It's always on my plastic. It's always mm-hmm. on my debit card or my credit card. And then I can go back, review, <laughs> download my transactions and categorize things and cancel things and review things. Um, so I would, that would be my other piece of advice. And if you're not comfortable with controlling your spending on a credit card, uh, use your debit card mm-hmm. or call your credit card company and ask them to lower your your amount. Um, mm. Credit card companies will always give you a bump up if you are a good spender because they want you to spend more with them. But if you are getting a credit line that's too high, you can call them and ask them to decrease it. In fact, you should. Um, it actually can help you in quite a few ways from a credit perspective as well. Oh, really? What do you mean by that? When you have too much credit that's not been used and you mm-hmm. go to apply for new credit... The credit agency may say, oh, you're not in debt now, but you could very easily go into debt because you have all mm. this open credit. So when there's a couple different factors that come into play when when lenders are looking at giving you an interest rate, um, one of those things may be how much is your current debt? How much do you currently have that you don't, that you're spending in debt? Do you have car loans and mortgages and these types of things? But also how much could you spend? If you wanted to go max out every one of your credit cards right now, would you still have the funds to pay us back? And so Mm. if you have credit cards that you're not using, close them. If you have credit limits that have been raised because the bank's trying to be generous, (laughs) lower them. (laughs) It it will take a simple phone call or a web click uh, in order to do it. And the, the better your credit score, the better your buying power later on. I thought, I mean, that's something that I had never heard of. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, it's complicated. There are so many areas of finance and I'm still learning all the time. And and let's be honest, it's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So you can hear something this week and next month, something newer, better, faster, more interesting. Another insight may come about and, and that's okay. Like keep 
that cycle, keep learning, keep changing, keep modifying. Um, that's the way you become wealthy. That's right. the way you manage your finances for the long haul. Right. So the other question, so with finances and with anything in life, there's just so much information and it can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. How would you feel about if you are in a committed relationship and you just let the other person deal with it. Like it's kind of like a division of labor. I do the yeah. dishes, you take out the trash, you do the finances, I do this. Yeah. What are it's, your thoughts on that as a financial think, expert? Yeah, I think it's risky, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. I, do, I, I take care of the finances predominantly in our household because it's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I categorize our transactions every month. Mm -hmm. But my husband is very much involved in decision-making on how we spend money. He goes, he reviews it with us altogether. I would not be comfortable having 100% control and him not knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. I also wouldn't be comfortable if he knew everything and I knew nothing about it. Right. Um, I, to each their own, I suppose. Some people are so uncomfortable talking about money, they'd rather have somebody else manage it. But I'd say you're never going to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and if your partner passes away or you split yeah. up, you're in a very vulnerable situation. Um, I know a woman who was married and everything was great. And then one day they were not married anymore and she knew nothing about their finances. Mm -hmm. And it turned out they, as a couple, didn't actually own anything. His parents owned it all. And so when they got divorced, she got nothing because they wow. had nothing. She got 50% of zero. Um, <laughs> and so she had no, you know, no idea how anything was going to work. And that's a really scary place to be for anybody, not just for women, for but sure. that's a really scary place for anybody to be. Um, Unfortunately, I'd say historically, that has been the, the position a lot of women have been left in. Their spouse passes away or leaves um, right. and they are left not knowing what to do next. I I really pride myself on my independence and mm -hmm. and it's something that I'm proud of. And I think it's it's one of the things my, my husband likes most about me as well is that independence. And it's something I hope all three of my children, I have two girls and a boy, mm -hmm. I want all of them to learn that equally and it's about communication and it's about um, it's about really putting that effort in to learn the information. And look, it's like eating an elephant, right? Mm -hmm. One bite at a time. You will <laughs> not be able to eat that elephant in one sitting. Um, <laughs> you have to go one small bite at a time and just take it, take it a little bit and know that you're going to be better tomorrow than you were today. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I think, this comes back to some of the other uh, episodes of podcasts that I've had where we're talking about learning how to be independent before you're interdependent. So you mm -hmm. do need to function as a, an adult, a responsible adult before you can come together. And when you do come together, don't lose that um, sense of independence and keep learning, even if you don't know as much as the other person to at least ask questions and be aware of what's going on. Yeah, it can only make you stronger, um, both your your connection to one another, but also your own personal situation. Um, and for any children that may come along, right? This, the more communication, the better it is 
between the parents, the better it is for the kids ultimately. Mm -hmm. And this might be a little bit personal. So you've been a financial expert for a while. You've had, it sounds like a lot of growth with your husband in terms of how you guys talk about money. Is mm -hmm. there anything that you guys are currently working on or that you, um, that is like in the back of your mind, um, yeah. 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 But it's not finance related. Um, mm. it's division of labor, honestly. Mm. Um, you know, as a, we've always had a dual income. I never was a stay at home mom. I never wanted to be, we have three kids and there's mm -hmm. a lot of work that has to be done. Um, and over the last year, we've done some really deliberate work on division of labor. Women are often the primary parent by default. Sure. Um, and honestly, I don't know that I wouldn't have it that way, but there is a lot to it. Um, there's a lot of laundry. There's a lot of dishes. There's a lot of magical creatures. There's a lot of changing <laughs> clothes for seasons and growth spurts and planning birthdays and doctor's appointments. There's just a lot. And um, I always took it all, always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I'm learning now is that I need to delegate some of those items and you know, recognize that he also has the same number of hours in a day that I have. And... Right. I can, I can shift some of those things. So it's actually really helped our financial situation by doing that. Um, I'm able to go and spend more time with my clients and to learn more. Mm. And he's able to do some loads of laundry and we're all that much better for it. Right. Um, and better yet, my kids are seeing a father who cooks and cleans and a mom who works and... It, it, they're seeing parents that do everything like, cause yeah. I still cook and clean and do laundry and he still works. So our kids are seeing a fully balanced, harmonious, um, household. Yeah. Versus if you'd looked at us three years ago, I was doing 90% of the household and working and spinning out of control, angry most of the time. So right. it certainly is a, a much happier place. Um, when we start looking at those things. It's nice to know because throughout this conversation, you very put together, you've got it all figured <laughs> out, but it's nice to know that you're still working on things. And yeah, if you're still working on things, that means the rest of us have something to work towards and yeah, it takes work. Well, thank you for the compliment. I mean, I <laughs> absolutely work very hard mm -hmm. at learning things. We talked about before. I love podcasts. I love audible books. I love to read. I'm always looking to improve myself. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really the core message of efficiency bitch is mm -hmm. how can I make my future self's life as good as possible? Right. Um, I fell in love with my future self several years ago, and that's been the driving force for me to improve my life in all areas. And how can I make her life better tomorrow, next yes. week, 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, and that's, it's really empowering. For sure. I used to be a procrastinator. Um, I would say things like, this is future Erica's problem. But I don't know where I got this from, but I started thinking about how would I treat my friends? Like I wouldn't throw them under the bus like this and make their lives more difficult. And yeah. so whenever I don't want to do something now, I'm like, I'm doing this for my friend, future Erica. Like I got to do yeah. this for her. Yeah. And it really, when you start to think about it that way, it can really change your, your mentality. Um, and I mean, take it any direction you want. Like, do you want that extra glass of wine? Cause your future <laughs> self tomorrow is going to really hurt. And maybe you do, maybe you think, yep, I want it. And then maybe you think mm, I'm good. Um, it, maybe it's about money and what you're purchasing or what right. you're going to, what you're going to buy or earn money on. Um, and maybe it's about a task that you're putting off to, to not do it. There's just so many ways you can, I'm right. in the trenches with my 12 year old right now, trying to learn about procrastination and future self and all of those things. And it's right. 
we're not born knowing the answers. We're no. not born knowing how to have tomorrow be better than it was today. And I'm certainly not living for the future. I'm living <laughs> right now. Um, but the best part is my right now is really good because I spent time yesterday thinking about mm-hmm. how I can do that. Right. So every day gets a little better. I'm always looking for what can I do right now that will maybe take me 10 minutes, but it'll save me five minutes tomorrow and every day after. Um, and those types of things are really like the essence of efficiency. Right. That's trying right. to find those things that can be fast wins um, and just really make everything that much smoother. Right, right, right. So we're getting to the end of the podcast. So I have one final question for you. And that is, who would you recommend your book to and who would not benefit as much? Yeah, I I wrote my book thinking about 28-year-old me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the time of my life where I was post-college. I was growing in my career. I was getting married. I was thinking about having children. Um, I didn't have any of those things yet, but those were happening. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to decide, can I have the career that I think I want? And can Mm -hmm. I have a family at the same time? And everything around me was saying, nope, you can't do both because you're going to burn out. You're going to be exhausted or there's a glass ceiling and you can't go through it because you'll be pregnant and all of those things. And I I had this like, oh yeah, watch me kind of attitude. Um, and it was awesome because I did it. But right. I'll tell you, I did really spin out of control at one point and realize that I couldn't do it all. So the the message of the book is you can have it all. You just can't do it all. And here's mm-hmm. how to get it done a lot faster in a more efficient way um, so that you can. And I... I was very fortunate to have a very cool job um, in my hospitality career. I got to travel the globe. I've been all over the world alone as a solo traveler. I learned a lot about myself. I was also pregnant during those periods and breastfeeding and pumping on airport bathroom floors. I mean, I've done all that stuff and I've lived to tell the tale. And there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, hell yeah, that was awesome. And I would do it again. And there's a lot of things where I... Like, oh, I wish I had done that a little bit differently. Um, and so that's a lot of where the book comes from. I'll say the feedback I've received has been amazing. Um, I have male friends and family who've read it. I don't think any male strangers have read it just because <laughs> of the title. Right. Um, but my male friends and family have read it and they've said they've taken a lot from it as well. Um, and so I hope that it's a it's a tool for everyone. Yeah, it sounds like it is. And I mean, you've gotten the feedback to reassure you that it is. Yeah, um, it launched last November. And so it's been been about seven months of a uh, really fun ride. That's for sure. <laughs> Everyone should write a book. I'll tell you, it is the most terrifying and rewarding experience I've been through. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it sounds like I've had another friend on who is also an author. And it sounds like she is cathartic. It was going through and reflecting on everything that she had learned and how do you say that to your younger self? I feel like most self-help books are written for a younger self. Yeah, because you figured something out and you want to share it, right? And it's, I had this really deep fear of judgment. I was Mm. really afraid of putting my words out there and that people would judge me about it. And then I thought... I read self-help books all the time and I've never judged the author for it. I might think that doesn't apply to me, but I sure as hell didn't judge the author for saying that. So once I kind of convinced myself that I had to get this done, um, I really learned a lot and, and I hope to do it again. Right. 
Right. I mean, each time you do something, there's growth and you learn. And that's what yeah. we're all about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Efficiencybitch.com is probably the easiest thing to remember. I'm on social media at Efficiency B because Meta didn't like the word <laughs> bitch. Um, and if you're interested in the fractional CFO or bookkeeping work that I do in the US, it's two consultingcom mm-hmm. um, S-E-N-S-E, like making sense. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perfect. So yeah. thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, stop what you're doing right now and give me a rating on your app. It really helps other people find me. If you have thoughts or tips that you'd like to share, please do at selfhelpjunkiepod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. See you guys next time.